Beardy and the Beast Media Club. This is placeholder intro song. Thank you for joining us for Beardy and the Beast Media Club. A full spoiler discussion into a piece of media. We will not burn those spoilers in an act of vengeance. As always, if you enjoy what we do, share us, share us with your friends or join us in the discussion in the comments or at our Discord. We're available on many services with the full list available at beardyandthebeast.com. My name is Drew, and of course joining me is the Vampire Devstat. Take it. <laughs> Today we'll be discussing 1994's movie adaptation of Interview with the Vampire. So Dev, how did you find this piece? Was it ancient and dated, or was it and nice? You know, that's pretty good for, you know, making that up like 30 <laughs> seconds before we started recording here. Oh. Much like the interviewer had to do to Louie. <laughs> I think it's it's hard to say. Like it's I think it's a little dated, but it's also such a codifier for like the vampire genre in film and media that kind of makes it last. Mm, I actually you know what? I actually have to disagree in a way. Mm -hmm. Um so I'd never seen this movie before. I was, I'm only mm. familiar with Queen of the Damned. Mm. Best movie ever. And given the fact that this came out, what, like nearly 30 years ago? Yep. I think it held up very well and it aged pristinely. Yeah. Um, I could see a film like this. Mm. That's not the way to say it. I don't, I don't think a lot of production companies would like take a chance on a film like this these days but i could see a film like this now just with better like film techniques ones that are more clear etc because in the 90s there was a very specific grain and i think that's the dating that i'm seeing more it's mm. more like just in like the shot choices and such it feels dated hmm. um and don't worry they won't remake the movie. They're going to make it as an HBO series. Oh, that'd be much better. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, um, I mean, I, I pretty much yeah. always just, I mean, it's a meme at this point where I say it should be made as a series. I actually had a lot of trouble with this film. I swear this has never happened to me before, except with maybe uh, Princess Kaguya. I couldn't stay in a perceptive and analytical mindset. Mm. This movie, while watching it, like I just watched it, enjoyed it, and watched it as, like, as a fan, someone who was fully within the film. Yeah, I found that too. Like, I mean, I've seen this movie many a time. Even then, trying to be analytical with it, it's kind of like, no, I'm just kind of in it. Like, Anne Rice is a good writer, <laughs> and I know she did the screenplay as well. Well, I was worried. And it shows. Yeah, it definitely shows. I, I, I was worried because. You never know with movies coming out of the 90s. Like the early to mid 90s, a lot of them do show the age much, much more on the face of it than this film does. Um, and I think the reason why this, this has a, it has more of a classic feeling or something that we can more easily identify is because 
all the vampire di- dialogue came off to me not even like like vampire tropey but more like as if it was a play mm. the, the way yeah. that they were speaking speaking with uh each other gave me a lot of like stage performance vibes mm. i agree with that um i almost get a feeling that they did something similar to what they what they were what they've done with like thor in the comics not in the movies mm. where they like purposefully date the way they're speaking mm. right to to kind of do that bit of uh distancing right and, and you would see something similar like it, it makes me think um you know going off something Ar- armand said in the film mm. where like louis was the new generation of vampire it's like if there was a vampire created today and we you know, some 200 years in the future, you know, be speaking with all the YOLOs and the whatnots. True. <laughs> because that's, you get kind of dated. I know, I think Buffy actually played with a similar thing. Well, that it makes sense that, like, there, there could be an argument that, you know, vampires are perceptive, they can see through the heart of things, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, for stealth, they would learn how to fit in, and that includes language. But I also think there's a a, a disconnect in time. And they showed that with the Watchmen and was it Dr. Manhattan? Mm, yeah. Where he's kind of trying to explain to people that be, being a mortal like that, like time just passes in the blink of an eye. Mm. So that might, it's language might just be something they hold on to is because that's what they know and the world's moving fast past them. I think there's that. And this is something that I've seen in a couple of vampire mythos. So again, Buffy Mm. interview with the vampire, obviously Uh, vampire, the masquerade as well um, uses this. And it's the idea of because vampires aren't alive, they don't change. Mm. Right. So even though, so we even look at Louis there um, at the end, he's still basically dressed the same as he was when he was turned. Mm. You know, it's very much the suit, and I don't think he'd be able to change out of that. And obviously, uh, they didn't go as far as like they did in, I'm pretty sure this was like the first or second episode of Buffy, where Buffy just points out a vampire because he's dressed like someone in the 80s. <laughs> but. I can see that being something in the lore. Um, I think we do see that again with Armand and the um, theater of vampires mm-hmm. because, and that's how they hit it because it's a theater company. Theater companies always wear weird stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I definitely don't think it's like an unwillingness to change um, though. I could see some vampires being like a, Oh no, these new customs are below me. Mm. Like how how I live is more regal. Like I could see that from actually there isn't any good examples in this film, like with the way that the vampires were portrayed. That would be more a case of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. Um the main the main villain there. Essentially yeah. like humans are cattle, they're below us, and seem to keep up more of an old school vibe because everything else was beneath him. And I didn't get that from this film. 
Yeah, because I, I, you're right. I don't think it's an unwillingness to change. I think it's an inability. Yeah, yeah. To change. Um. So, and that's going to go with personality and such too. Like, the characters overall are fairly static. Mm. And that's not a bad thing. Like, I think it plays into into that whole idea. Well, I mean, vampires themselves, like, with their... Because part of the mythos is specifically, like, infinite youth and infinite beauty. Mm. Um, but it's being stuck in that moment of, like, being at your prime elegance. Yeah. So if you're stuck in that moment physically... When it comes to things like language and the way that you think, you would probably be stuck as well. So I, I definitely agree with the the concept of like being unable to change. I think a good point of that would be um, within interview itself would be Claudia. Mm. Like she was clearly growing up, but she couldn't stop being a child, right? In the, in the way she threw her tantrums, but you could tell she had that sophistication the way she talked when she wasn't. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That would set, but it but it would swing. So there's probably some advancement there because there's was it the way that um children think? I'm gonna sound so dumb in this moment. It's at a different frequency. Mm. Um hence why they can live in imagination and you kind of lose that as you grow older. Mm. Um but there is a lack of perception beyond self. Yeah. The way the way that Claudia was written and acted was like on the nail of exactly what it should have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is one of her earliest roles. This is like this movie made me feel fall in love with Kirsten Dunst. Like, I mean, I saw it when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, at the same age, it's like, nope. I think this like immediately made her like my first celebrity crush. Um. <laughs> 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 Because, like, yeah, she nails it. She's a kid when she needs to be a kid. She also shows the fact that she's lived for, um, what, hundred, hundred some odd years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it made things not feel, it made things feel natural. Even yeah. like, even the relationship between her and Louis. Like, I mean, take out the fact that, you know, it was a 12-year-old. But at the same time, they've lived together that long that, yeah. They're, she's not really a 12 year old mm-hmm. and, and, and you feel that. Well, that's the thing. Like the nature of the relationship was some, something beyond like, it wasn't familiar. It wasn't like romantic. It was definitely something that was like a, a throw beyond that. Like, especially the way that all the, well, all the vampires were acting towards Louis. Mm-hmm. Like you never knew if it was like, as a parent, as a romantic interest, if it was like a like a brotherly thing or sisterly thing, it's very odd in that way. It was almost like a it was almost like a pure um, transcendental love, mm. right? Like it was it was all encompassing. It's interesting because I mean she should have every reason to hate him, but doesn't. Clearly, neither of them were fans of Lestat, but they. That's the thing. They, that was the balance with Lestat, though. They both hated and loved him to the same yeah. degree, with the same, to whatever the flip side of that love is. They had the hate towards him. Yeah, and that, that's another thing that I've seen in in vampire um, mythology too. And a lot of this makes I, I I think 
Anne Rice actually codified a lot of this stuff, mm. like a lot of our standard vampire mytho- mythos that we have now. Um, but it's that idea of extremes as well, because you you are becoming a bit more animalistic. Mm-hmm. So it's all or nothing. You're going to hate that hate in such a way that you will literally burn down everything. Love in such a way that you will literally burn down everything. <laughs> yeah, it's they definitely it it's probably yeah it's probably on race that brought like the vampire dangerous codependency issues that vampires have so i'm thinking of the main vampire media obviously dracula but i've never read dracula and i know that all of the films differ from the books Mm -hmm. so i'm not sure how much is there Uh, i mean obviously nosferatu but that was a very different take because when did she like i'm wondering because she wrote this in the 70s yeah, this was part of a trilogy, right? Yeah. Uh, I think it was a trilogy. Vampire Lestat, Queen of the Damned, Interview with the Vampire. Yeah, I know there's a three of them for sure. So I think, yeah, okay, so her first novel was written in 76. So it was still kind of before a lot of that. The vampire films, the early ones, didn't start coming out till, uh 79 or so. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how much influence is there, knowing how much influence is there again, just in our modern, like, and it's so obvious. You can see how this influenced, again, the the other big three vampire ones that we've talked about. So, because, I mean, vampires were seen as monsters at some point, I would assume. Well, it's a thing like, like do, you, do you know if the the romanticization of vampires hit its stride at least with um Anne Rice's depiction I think I think so to my knowledge yes but I can't yeah because I I can think of some that are actually you know horror like short stories Mm -hmm. can't remember the names off the top of my head but no I've read a few so I do think she did a lot more of the romanticization uh I know like Dracula itself um a lot of the um, romanticism, the charm such that Dracula had, uh, and the, the shape-shifting abilities, all that stuff that you think of when you think of Dracula, that wasn't because he was a vampire. <clears throat> it was because he was a sorcerer mm. who happened to be a vampire. Um, I remember <clears throat> reading that somewhere. Uh, so that would... So, I mean, that gives that preternatural charm that the vampires have but it was literally magic witchcraft. Mm-hmm. well yeah and that was for that was for actual manipulation whereas and racist vampires like um a good a good example at least the way that it was portrayed in this film was uh louis and armand mm. like i i thought definitely thought they were gonna kiss at the end there yeah. But they had they've had like two conversations by that point. Yeah. It's just it's just this weird weird concept of like yeah, that hyper codependent like immediate attraction love with like everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, I I'm pretty sure that's very much an Anne Rice thing. Mm. Um little known fact, I cannot remember, but she's got a pen name where she actually just straight up writes erotica. I could see that. She's probably good at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's well, the thing? Like, it seems 
because of the way that they depicted the characters, that particular scene of Louise and Armand about to kiss, even though they had barely had that much contact with each other, to like develop any type of meaningful um, relationship or desire in, in that way at all. Like it mm. wasn't even implied. It didn't seem unnatural. It didn't seem like, like a far leap or just thrown in there. That actually felt like this is how vampires are. And I mean, it makes sense. Like they're carnal creatures. Yep. They're all about the flesh. I mean, the the simple way that a vampire feeds mm-hmm. has like has an innate sexual aspect to it. That yeah, it's going to become a core part of their being, which is again probably why they say that they have that rule about not making them too young. Because mm-hmm. God, that's got to be confusing. <laughs> just said to make it makes sense. That is just how vampires are. Uh, another thing I found interesting just kind of with the the nature of the vampires is while they did monstrous things, they never came across as monsters. Like even Lestat and, and, and Claudia de Witt, like they were always talking about like, don't prolong the suffering. Like, and it, there's no point in, in that, which I found interesting because uh, you see other vampires where it's like, nope, I'm going to be a cat toying with my mouse. Yeah. Well, I mean, Buffy ripped on this quite well in the show. The whole, by balancing the the romantic side of vampires and also the monster side. Mm-hmm. As it, especially with giving them like the transforming face and the yeah. like the difference but, um, in the modes of vampire-ness. Mm-hmm. Um, that balanced it out quite well. I think it, uh, Vampire the Masquerade they do it well with the different clans. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have some that are monstrous and yeah. are more animal, animalistic hunters. And then you have those that are more your like Anne Rice, you know, leather pants, etc. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was actually a big thing that I saw while I was watching. It was kind of like, I can see where all of the clans kind of came from. Yep. Uh, except for the Nosferatu. <laughs> but we all know where they came from. Hint, it's the title of the film. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. And like, I really do think where, where there's other films that definitely influenced genres. Like if you think about, say your Akira's and your redacted, it's like, Oh yeah, there's, there's your cyberpunk. Yeah. Um, this was definitely like, the the defining aspect of most of the modern day vampire mythos. Yeah. One thing that I you touched upon is something um that I kinda want to revisit is something you mentioned earlier. And that was vampires and like the representation of the age that they're in. Mm. And that seemed to be a key point with Louis. Mm. Uh Armand was saying to him that he represents his time. Yeah. And I think it might have been like deeper than what most people might see on its face. Because there was there was a sorrow and a guilt there. And I think they were using Louis to actually represent like an age. Mm. Um or a century in the okay. way that he act. I mean if we're if we're thinking about because he was a plantation owner with like many slaves there was a lot of disease 
There was a famine and a plague. So this kind of being lost in this new world and being stuck and unable to change and just like feeling this pain and this guilt. Like I I see a connection there. Mm. I, I definitely see what they were trying to do with it. And I think this is just the, you know, time constraints in a movie. Yeah, of course. Where, where you can't explore in that way. But I do definitely agree that that's where they were trying to go with it. Uh, and it, it, it's interesting because, like, we don't really know, really get no idea how old these other vampires are. Mm-hmm. Like, the only one we know is Armand is, as far as he knows, the oldest. Louis is probably around that age. And then, you know, as far as I can tell, Claudia is probably the youngest vampire in both sense of the word. Mm. Uh, yeah, because at youngest, she'd be like 80 something. At oldest, probably 120. I didn't, yeah. I didn't really catch the timelines. That's about the timeline that I, that I figured as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we're not supposed to catch timelines. They actually did call on that, much like you did when we were talking earlier when you referenced Doctor Manhattan. They literally did like a thirty-year montage with them just walking, like they were just walking down the street, and like, yep. And in the blink of the eye, all of a sudden, it was steamships instead of sailboats. Mm-hmm. That was right? a cool like, scene too. Yeah, and that's that's all they needed to show, and it again, it actually shows that lost in time aspect that's going to be there with vampires because when you're around that long time doesn't quite mm-hmm. make sense so um, but yeah so he's in the new world I can't remember what the tech well there was the theater I think it was still all gas lit and candle lit so I mean at best we're probably looking you know early 1900s I, no there's still well there's still characters so we're probably looking at like early 1900s or late 1800s at the when Claudia dies. I think that ma- matches what I can think of the dress style too. And yeah, cause I'm just thinking like the carriage, just, just the style of dress screams to me kind of turn of the turn of the 20th century. Mm, true. That's what I kind of would have liked to see more. Like makes me want to go and read the book. Um, you know, maybe give the TV series a try. Maybe. Cause I feel like there could have been so much more exploration with like just the interaction with the old world vampires. Mm. Uh, right. Like again, nothing felt out of place with how they handled it. It is kind of that. I would love to see a bit more of this interaction, you know, what made them so instantly go against Claudia. Right. What, what did she do that prompted that? Yeah. I mean, it, it, they had a reasonable, motivation for it in the film yes simply by making it like one of the greatest taboos yeah but i feel like that was definitely shorthanding it there was probably something beyond that because Mm. they did briefly mention killing another vampire is also one of the greatest sins but they didn't focus on that yeah um So I think that might have been it. And seeing, 
like a court of vampires or some type of deliberation or exploration or explanation of that situation would have been nice because it was very abrupt. Mm-hmm. Um, the like zero to 60 and like everything seems okay to we're going to bask you in the sun. Yeah. That's it. It, it seemed abrupt. As I said, it didn't seem out of place, just abrupt. Yeah. It, I didn't like that it happened, but it didn't feel like it took away from the film. Yeah. I, I felt it could have been handled better, but mostly because of a lack of context. Yeah. Um, I can see that that scene with um, the scene with um, Claudia burning in the oubliette. It's just, it's one of those scenes that's just iconic and just lives forever in my head. Mm. I is. It was a well done scene. Just kind of, as I said, would have been nice to have a little bit more around it. And again, maybe you don't need it. Like maybe it's just that animal instinct of vampires kicking in again. I'm wondering if in the book there was a, if that re- relationship A exists and B, if they explored the relationship between like her new pseudo mother, Louis and Claudia. Like if there was what? more than. She was turned and then immediately just baked. Mm. That's. I'm, I'm, I know I'm clearly missing this with other things because it's. I mean, maybe it was just how that scene was done. I thought they did spend more time. Mm. But that's really kind of the only point, the like plot point of the film that jumped out at me is like, I thought I remembered this differently. Mm hmm. Um, Again, I think some of that could just be due to the writings. Like, you know, you could see them actually having a bit of a life. Very possible. It's just my me filling in a what could have been. You know, I'd I'd, I'd want to I I'd need to read the books too to kind of see see what they did because definitely interested. Yeah, with Louis and Claudia, I think Claudia wanted to change. She desired change more than anything, but could not. Louis seemed to bask in his his guilt, I guess you could say. Yeah. Like he let it become him and no effort to change there. Or we didn't have Mond around long enough for him to change. But Lestat, I had this feeling at the end of the film that he was actually the only vampire that actually changed or evolved in some way. Yeah, I definitely get that as well. Well, I mean, he he literally had to burn and become anew, be resurrected like the phoenix, right? So, yeah, I mean, that's probably a symbol that was used quite pointedly. <laughs> well, it's it's one of those things that that kind of confuse me. Mm. Um, I was going to bring it up a little bit later, but we're kind of here now. Um. Between him burning and and Louis coming back, it was like 200 years. Because he didn't return until 1988 back to the New World. Mm. And we've just established he probably left around 1795. It makes me go, it's like, but what happened to Lestat? He clearly showed he could, you know, he was able to revive himself from the alligator and all of the life around the swamp. But 
not after that, not after the fire. I think I think there's a type of I think vampires need more than just blood to survive. Mm. It's always been something that I've kind of been playing with in my head that and this this movie kind of reinforce it. These like eternal bonds. Mm. I I believe that they need them and are sometime somehow restorative. I I think he wasn't recovering simply because he wasn't allowing himself to. Mm. I mean, I don't yeah, have any, anything sense. to back that up. It just um, no, it makes sense, and it kind of connects to actually. No, I think there is evidence in the film of that. So the evidence in the film that'll point to is um, obviously just uh, they don't really explore it immediately with Lestat siring Louis, but every other siring we Louis sired Claudia because he could tell that, um, or sorry, a stat sired him because he could tell Louis needed. Mm -hmm. It's an extra companionship. The whole prompt for Claudia to get, um, uh, to get the, can't remember her name again. Uh, yeah, the other person turned was because she thought she was losing Louis to Armand. So I definitely do think there is, is evidence to that. I mean, vampires, we always think of them as solitary creatures. We normally think of like the pack monsters as, you know, zombies. Mm -hmm. um, but almost every piece of vampire media I can think of has that companionship be something. Uh, Dracula needed to have Mina, uh, you know, Spike and Drew. Well, the yeah. an angel. <laughs> Well, and that was the thing um, that immediately came to mind for me was Spike and uh, Drew, because no matter no matter what kind of abuse she hurled at him, be it sleeping with other vampires or men's or demons, or casting him away, or you know trying to kill him, etc. Yeah, there was still that same passion. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I always looked. I always look. I I actually look at Lestat's um, antagonism not as villainy, but as jealousy. Mm. Uh, and the reason why I kept trying to antagonize um, Louis before any anyone else came along was simply that Louis was still not looking at him. Yeah. Uh, well, well, that's what I was saying. Like we're none of these characters really came across as monsters to me. Mm. Like, like I could see, I saw that with Lestat too. I mean, again, he never toyed with his prey uh, being one thing made it clear that you shouldn't ever toy with your prey. Mm -hmm. and, and when he was torturing Lestat or Louis in his, in his ways, he was literally trying to teach him. Yep. Right, and, and you see it because he, he did almost the immediate thing with Claudia, but Claudia picked up on it sooner. Well, and I, like I, well, and I, I acknowledge that as well. Um, Lestat was in his own way trying to show Louis what he was now. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Louis was, you know, overburdened by himself. Yeah. Failing to show that... Failing to acknowledge what he had become, uh, 
failing to become that like that romantic icon for uh Lestat and still trying to hold on to a humanity that he should have passed. Mm. It's, it's interesting. It's like <laughs> making excuses for an abusive ex. <laughs> well, it's, but it's not exactly that because I mean, again, these are different creatures, different morals. True. True. Right. And you have to consider it that way. Uh, and I think that's again, why none of them really come across as villainous. Mm-hmm. Or, or true monsters in that regard it's yeah even even um the vampires that took claudia off to kill her like there was a morbid sense of like vampire justice to it yeah like it made sense why they were doing it uh not to go back in that conversation it just needs more elaboration but yeah no i agree i think i think we're I think we're really nailing this one <laughs> yeah so um, it's just to kind of I, I do think you're right about Lestat not getting the admiration that he needed from Louis or Claudia unfortunately uh, well, well they all had something specific that they needed or desired mm-hmm. and I've, we'd need to deliberate to figure out what it was for Louis but like Claudia was simply to to grow, to become older, yeah. something beyond herself. Lestat was companionship. Yeah. The state that he was in really made me feel that he was cast aside or abandoned. Mm. Hence why he seemed even more adamant than what you would expect normally from a vampire. Weird thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm still, I'm still struggling to figure out what it was that Louis needed. I think... Was it to lose that last piece of his humanity? Hmm. Because he was he was burdened by the the guilt and the feelings of his human life, right? Yeah. So he could never become what he should be as long as he holds on to that that portion of his soul. See, it, it's because it's, it was kind of thinking about this and trying to find a good way to bring it up, so I kind of will now. Um. You're doing really good at giving me segues today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they never explicitly showed that Louis started actually feeding on people, mm. which I found really interesting. Um, I think he was holding on to that humanity and guilt. I don't think, I also don't get the feeling that he was ever going to turn anyone else again. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. There's no indication of that. So I think part of that's the guilt. I think I think we're supposed to feel lost, but he doesn't know what he needs and we don't know what he needs. Mm. Right, right. He was sired in at a point where he literally thought he'd lost everything. Uh most of the other people, actually everyone else we see when they're turned, like they weren't wanting to die. Um he was. And I wonder if that that plays with it some it's also interesting that you know the one person who just wants to die is the first person to get immortality <laughs> but i don't think he knew what he wanted and i think that just stuck i could see that especially if you're trapped in that moment right yeah because there was a small acknowledgement that he didn't want to die during the act which is different than like a pre-planned thing yeah 
I guess that kind of ties it nicely together with him being a representative of like a lost age as well. Yeah. So, I mean, that fits in really smoothly. Real, real question is, I wonder what, what he was doing where, when Lestat was chilling with Alia. <laughs> the greatest movie of all time, Queen of the Damned. Yeah, one day I will see it. Wait, you haven't seen Queen of the Damned? I have not actually seen Queen of the Damned. It was one of those I wanted to and never did. And then I kind of heard, you know, that it's the greatest movie of all time. (laughs) Um, That was kind of the last thing that Aaliyah did, wasn't it? Yeah, unfortunately, she died after that. Like, she did Romeo Must Die, Queen of the Damned, I think another thing, and then unfortunately passed. Yeah, I remember Romeo Must Die, but yeah, I missed... I missed Queen of the Damned. It's unfortunate. <laughs> she was going to be huge. Like, oh. everybody knew she was going to be huge. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, re- reasonably, Queen of the Damned really is just a... Felt like a film to sell a soundtrack. Great soundtrack. That's, yeah. Uh, that's honestly one of the big reasons why I didn't see it. Uh, again, like, Interview of the Vampire, it's just pretty close to being a masterpiece-type film. And... Queen of the Damned, well, maybe the greatest movie ever, uh, is not. <laughs> the uh... <laughs> So they've been ruining our franchises a lot longer than just the last few years. <laughs> true, true. Well, I mean, they didn't, they didn't do the Vampire Lestat. They went directly from Interview with the, va- with the Vampire to... Uh, Queen of the Damned, but skipped the middle bit and also yeah. made it strongly like 2000. Yeah. One of the reasons why Interview with the Vampire held up is because they went more with the symphonic uh, music. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like classic jazz or new metal or, you know, like top 40. Yeah. Um. And they, yeah, 2002. Jeez. Yeah. Such a good soundtrack. Um, what, one thing that I noticed in a positive way when it came to the music in Interview with the Vampire is it liked to build up using the music and then as soon as the character moment occurred, they would cut out the music. Mm-hmm. And it would just be like, the play written style poetry of the vampires speaking to each other. Mm-hmm. And it felt like a, com- a continuation of the music. So it, the fact that it cut out didn't feel strange. Yeah. Yeah. There's very much a poetry mm-hmm. to, to everything about it. And it's just the choice of music too. Just kind of that, that somber, um, the somber strings. Uh, you can feel that bittersweet and, you know, the the only time you get kind of the more horror sound was, you know, when they were you know, bringing Claudia and Madeline to, her, to their deaths. Mm. Oh, like, I'm normally the one to bring up the soundtrack. And, like, for me, just, everything felt, again, so natural that it never, like, other than, like, the, again, just kind of the way it opened, it never entered my head again. I listen to the soundtrack like Drew normally listens to the soundtrack. <laughs> well, it's so good. 
It was one of the many things that keep keeps you in the moment, mm-hmm. which would be very difficult in a film like this where, I mean, we have a, a scale of um, 200 years. Yeah. And how do you as the viewer not get lost in it? Mm-hmm. Um, and they definitely used a lot of techniques like the, the soundtrack and the audio in this to make sure to keep you in the moment. Yeah. So you're not questioning, you know, 50 years prior, worrying about things like the timeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just never comes up. Yeah, they, they did the timeline things very interestingly in that regards. It's like we got an idea of how long Claudia was around, not because they need to show a bunch of time, because it's like, okay, well, this is like the 40th doll you've gotten me. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, no, that's about all the timeline information I need. Um, I do really wonder what it was with that day. Was that a birthday or why, why did Lestat always get her a doll on the same day? Cause there's no indication of him having family. If it came from Louie, I could see that. Well, it's one of those connections. Like he did sire her and he did have his weird, like abusive codependent ultra love towards her as well. Right. Like he yeah. cared he just showed For it sure. in a different way. Yeah, I mean, I just assumed it was her like rebirth day. I guess you could say. Yeah, the reaction to that was really fun. Well, like she wanted to become that woman so much, but knew she couldn't. So instead, she obtained the woman. Yeah, made her part of her collection. Yes, like there is this weird, morbid, juvenile kind of aspect to that that makes so much sense with her character. Oh yeah, it's like I said, it's that idea of clearly she's a mature character, mature person, but you never escape the fact that she's a twelve-year-old, mm-hmm. which is just—it's fascinating to see it done well, because again, it's one of those things that could have very easily slipped into a Sharon, Sharon Alessa type thing, where you just go too childish. Well, they had the easy out with her simply because she wasn't trying to act like a child. She was trying to act like someone who didn't want to be a child. Mm -hmm. And that's probably a far more attainable goal. Yeah, I guess we kind of skipped her being a child pretty quickly, too. Like, there's a time skip almost immediately. Mm -hmm. So we never need to worry about that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It was a good movie. (laughs) <laughs> uh it is one of my favorite movies i can see why yeah um i definitely could see this being one that you could rewatch and find new things in and i could see this being a movie where you can experience the same enjoyment as before but also find new ways to enjoy it mm-hmm. and new 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 aspects to appreciate i guess you could say and honestly it's really what i found with this watching and like with this discussion it's kind of that just that diving into that a little bit deeper and just tying it together in mythology. It's like, no, there is so much here, you know, never put as much weight to the idea of being the vampire for the age. Um, makes me wonder if Claudia would have been a vampire for the age too. I'd have to think about that for her own age. Maybe though. They might've also used her to re- represent parts of Louis. Yeah. I'm wondering if you, 
could find characterizations with the everyone who's orbiting around Louis, um, mm. to base off of aspects of his personality. Yeah, I mean it's pretty common technique, I guess you could say. It's not like we've ever never discussed something like that before. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Never ever. <laughs> never ever. Never ever. <laughs> I can definitely see why, you know, this helped spur on the goths and helped spur on just the renaissance of vampires. And you can see why, you know, Twilight exists. Yeah, I'm trying to, trying to think here. I definitely see why the personality types of people who get super drawn into certain types of vampire mythoses, specifically things that are more closely connected to this depiction of vampires. I can see why they um, elevate them so high mm. or not elevate. They uh, idolize this style of vampire yeah. is a better way to say. Um, it makes sense to me, like especially people like who want to, I guess, experience not just, not just the like internal youth and eternal beauty, but like, to have that undying black or white affection, right? Mm -hmm. well, it, it's it's, it's like interesting. The, oh, go ahead. It's, it's like that that one Christmas when I was out there and I uh, randomly had this date where me and this goth girl walked among the t walked amongst the tombstones on <laughs> Christmas Day. Yeah, <laughs> I think. There's a few things this this does very well. It 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 walks the line between being a drama and being a bodice ripper. Mm -hmm. It walks the line. This is one that's really interesting between having characters that are both very simple and that don't really change much, yet being incredibly complex. And again, just that, like and the walking line between the two extremes. Mm -hmm. uh, of the, those emotional connections it becomes this perfect storm that is going to sweep people up yeah, it was definitely the yeah romance novels for their di for the different sort mm -hmm. <laughs> i mean like look looking at this if this yeah in my coven of nine i probably only had to exile one vampire <laughs> yeah yeah i i agree or like this half a vampire, is... if you can. Yeah. <laughs> One Claudia. No, not Claudia. <laughs> and you can't go with her. You're mine forever. <laughs> uh th I think another thing I just really find super interesting about this film is I feel like I have so much more to say, but I can't put words to it right now. <laughs> Like, I feel like there's just so much more that could be talked about in the film. Uh, well, in the in the kind of like amorphous, ethereal way that they depict the desire of these uh, vampires, mm -hmm. like, is how how the concepts are kind of forming in my head. So yeah. like, it's it's like trying to put actual words to that. Yeah. Um. It's it it feels like me trying to describe like components like that or me writing in hieroglyphics 
where the vampire's understandings would be like, you know, complex mathematics and um, language. Yeah. And I'm sitting here drawing pictures on the inside of a cave. Yeah. It, it, Louis says it to himself. It's like words can't describe how I see the world. <laughs> and that's just how I feel with this. There's just, you can tell there's so much there. Uh, the movie was done with so much care. And again, all of the pieces just fit. There's only one major aspect that I would have liked for them to explore a little deeper. So Louis looks at the angel statue and the angel statue looks back at him. I thought I it was like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought it was going to be when they were panning over, I thought it was going to be tropey, you know, crying stone angel. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a moment like it definitely opened its eyes and looked at him and like, what was the relevance of that? What is the relevance to that to them being a vampire? Um, and that's, that's the hallmark of a good movie in the fact that you want to know more about um, that world that they've created. Yeah. World building was very solid. And considering they didn't stay within an age for more than, I mean, they had one long streak. But other than that, it yeah. was maybe, what, 20 minutes? Or yeah. You didn't even get enough time to put in roots, so, but it was still enough that you desired to learn more. Mm-hmm. Simply because the... You know why it is? It's because they successfully kept us in the moment, and the world building was based around the vampires and not yeah. around the world around the vampires. So much like... Um, like we've talked about... Um, like a a vehicle can be considered a character, it can be considered a plot, it can be considered um, neither. Yeah. In this case, I think the vampires themselves were the world building. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was how they saw the world, their whole society. Yeah, I agree. 